Last week, uh, we've been focused on conversations that Jesus uh, had during his public ministry. Uh, chapter 1 through 12, public ministry. Beginning today, we'll spend the next several weeks looking at conversations Jesus had uh, with his disciples in private. Uh, the first 12 chapters of John cover a little over three years of Jesus's ministry. The next seven chapters cover about 24 hours. So it gets really intense and really focused, right? Um, the, the first 12 chapters of John's gospel are sometimes referred to as the book of signs. Remember, John recorded seven signs. We've seen some of those as we've been going through. Seven different signs that point to Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, there was the sign of turning the water into wine in chapter 2. Uh, healing the nobleman's son in John 4. Healing the man at the pool in John 5. Feeding the 5,000 in John 6. Uh, walking on water uh, also in John 6. Healing the man who had been born blind in John chapter 9. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. So the same Bible scholars that refer to chapters 1 through 12 as the book of signs refer to chapters 13 through 21 as the book of glory. The book of glory or glorification. Uh, Jesus spells out near the end of this chapter in verses 31 and 32 uh, that he is about to go to the cross, then be raised from the dead, and then ascend to the Father, uh, something he calls his glorification. All of the conversations that he is going to have uh, from here forward are tied to this truth. Okay? Um, and we need to remember that as, as we're listening in. John helps to set that context in verse 1, of chapter 13. Let's look at it together. He says, Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. John wants us to understand something, I think, here about time. Uh, he, he tells us that it is just before the Passover feast. Uh, he, he puts something on the calendar for us. What is the Passover feast? Passover feast was a celebration of Israel being rescued uh, out of slavery in Egypt so that they could worship God. And central to that orig original event in the book of Exodus was something called the Passover lamb. Uh, to escape that, that final plague that God sent on Egypt, each Jewish family was to sacrifice a lamb and, and uh, smear its blood on the doorpost. Kind of a gruesome thing, right? But John wants us to understand that the story he's telling now is related to that story back then in Exodus. And this has been his goal, really, from, from the beginning of his gospel. He was careful to, to point out that John the Baptist said of Jesus when he, when he saw him in chapter 1, Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away 
the sins of the world. See, John is, is pulling things together now. Things that he said right at the beginning of his book are, are starting to come together. So that's one thing John wants us to know about time. He's putting something on the calendar. Another thing that John wants us to know about time is that up to this point, Jesus has repeatedly said that his time had not yet come, right? He said it in chapter 2. He said it in chapter 7. He said it again in chapter 8. But now John tells us that Jesus knew his time had come. The, the, the culmination of why he came to earth was finally here. It's upon us. It was now time for him to go to the cross and die for our sins and be raised again so that death would be conquered and then ascend to the Father. Two important things about time. And love, John says, is the driving force behind all of that. Jesus had said it to Nicodemus in chapter 3, God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. Jesus will reiterate uh, this message of his love in the coming chapters, but, but here John tells us that Jesus is loving his friends to the very end. Some translations say that he is about to show them the full extent of his love. And the full extent of his love, of course, being his death on the cross. In chapter 15, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll look at this. Uh, Jesus will say, greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Again, referring to his life being laid down on the cross. All of that is what John wants us to understand as we enter into this conversation and, and this story, uh, this meal uh, that, that the disciples are sharing together with Jesus. So let's look at what Jesus does and then uh, listen to his explanation of it. Uh, after telling us that the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to be betray Jesus, John tells us in verse 3 that Jesus... Uh, Excuse me, verse 4. Jesus got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel and tied it around himself. He poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. I had been an, a, a young associate pastor for, I don't know, maybe about five years when one day during a conversation with the senior pastor in his office, he, he began undressing, took off his outer clothes. It was terribly disturbing to me. He needed to change into another set of clothes for a funeral that he was doing. But I remember it was so strange because he just carried on with the conversation as if this was the most normal thing that had ever happened. And quite honestly, it was so strange to me that I don't remember a word he said <laughs> during that. I, I remember thinking, he must really trust me now or something, you know, it, it was weird. And I imagine a similar awkwardness among the disciples as Jesus disrobes and wraps a towel around his waist. 
where is this going? What is he doing? Right? And it may have been especially awkward. Maybe they didn't even notice him doing it because Luke tells us that at this table, they had begun arguing about who was the greatest. Maybe Jesus is just watching this, kind of shaking his head as they go on, and then gets up from the table, takes off his outer clothes, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins washing their feet. How's that for making a point? Right? Didn't even have to say anything to squelch that argument. Now, you may have noticed I, I did skip over verse 3 and went straight to verse 4. Verse 3 answers part of the question about why Jesus did this. John probably didn't know this at the time. Uh, it seems that none of the disciples really knew what was going on. But, but years later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is given insight into Jesus' motivation. We've already seen in verse 1 that, that love was a driving force behind what he was about to do. But in verse 3, we're given a more puzzling reason, at least to me. Verse 3, because he knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, wrapped a towel, and began washing the disciples' feet. Why is this strange? Because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him, as, as we read in Matthew 28, all authority had been given to him. And because Jesus knew that he had come from God and was going back to God, Remember, uh, John told us in chapter 1 that Jesus, the Word, was with God from the beginning. And not only that he was with God, that he, that he was God. John 1 tells us that everything was created by him. Paul reiterates that in Colossians. Because Jesus knew all these things, he got up from the meal, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. This is crazy, right? If you have all authority, if, if you're the one uh, responsible for, for the existence of the universe, if you were, in fact, God in the flesh, how would you use that position of authority? It doesn't take long for us to look around our world and see how people use even a little bit of authority, right? But not Jesus. I mean, to, to the world's way of thinking, Jesus seems to have this backwards. He uses his, his authority not to ascend, but to descend. He uses his authority to display humility. Apostle Paul describes this for us in Philippians 2. He says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I said Jesus seems to have it backwards when it comes 
to his authority. Of course, he does not. It's we who have a distorted view of authority. Sin has, has twisted uh, the world's view of authority uh, in, a, in a way that lords it over others, that, that constantly tries to strive to ascend and in the process pushes others down, pushes others lower. Jesus is modeling something for these guys who have lived with him for three years that they don't understand yet. Well, it's, uh, Jesus makes his way around the table washing all of the disciples' feet, all of their feet, Judas included, which should give us pause. Would we have? You know, are there, are there people that we refuse to serve because they have betrayed us or will betray us? People we refuse to forgive? I wondered uh, this week what must have gone through Judas's mind as Jesus was washing his feet. And you'd think that, that seeing this humble expression of incredible love might, might have broken him. But it seems to have only steeled his alliance with Satan to betray Jesus. Up to this point in the story, no one has said a word to Jesus, and, and Jesus hasn't spoken either. Maybe the disciples were ashamed at how they had been arguing about who was the greatest among them. Maybe they were simply just shocked that their master would stoop to such a lowly uh, position. You know, Jewish slaves weren't even obligated to wash feet. It was, it was that demeaning. Jewish slaves weren't allowed to do this or weren't required to do this. So as he goes around the table, most of them just sat in silence. But Peter, of course, Peter had to object. Which brings us to the conversation that happens in this story. Verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. Peter's words, we need to hear them as a protest. They're a soft protest, but they are a protest. This is not just a question about Jesus' intent, right? Um, uh, Peter's sort of saying, surely not. You're, surely you're not doing this for me, right? And, and Jesus acknowledges that, that what he's doing doesn't make sense, kind of gives Peter the benefit of the doubt. Doesn't make sense right now, but you'll understand this afterwards, well, after what? Um, well, I, I think John intends for us to understand that this is pointing ahead to the cross. So at the, at the very least, they'll, they'll understand it after the cross, maybe not even until the Holy Spirit comes and, as Jesus said, will teach them about everything that he said and remind them of his words. But Peter doesn't accept Jesus' answer. Of course, 
He dials up the intensity of his protest. Verse 8, Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, If I do not wash you, you have no share or no part with me. One commentator says that it sometimes seems that the only time Peter opens his mouth is to change feet. <laughs> it can kind of seem like that sometimes. Uh, his, his language here is defiantly strong. Lord, you will never, not ever, wash my feet. And in our vernacular today, Peter is kind of saying, over my dead body. I will not allow this. And so Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me, which is a lot like when Jesus was predicting that he must die on the cross in Matthew 16 and again in Mark 8. And Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, God forbid, that will never happen to you. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. His intentions might be good, but he's completely missing the point and, and, and sort of setting himself against Jesus. So when Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me, Peter does one of his classic flips. Oh, in that case, give me a bath, right? Wash all of me. Head to toe. Maybe Jesus chuckled a little as he replied in verse 10, the one who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew the one who was going to betray him. For this reason, he said, not ever, not Every one of you is clean. Probably good for us to cut Peter a little slack here. Poor guy. He's trying to process why his master is taking on the role of a slave and washing his feet. It's not appropriate. But Jesus has taken this conversation to a whole new level and, and Peter never saw the lane change. He never saw the exit ramp. All of a sudden, I said, where are we and what are we talking about now? And it's kind of confusing language. Um, I, th I think Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is, is helpful here. He says it this way. Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you see, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean but not all of you, not every one of you. Jesus is talking here about spiritual cleansing. Ultimately, as John has already suggested to us, pointing ahead to the cleansing work of the cross. Alistair Begg uh, says it this way, once you have come to Christ and received his forgiveness, you are clean. Amen? Praise the Lord, yeah. You only need to continue in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, asking Him to clean your feet when you step in it. 
whatever the it is, sin. You see, if you've already received Christ, you don't need to keep praying to receive Christ. He's already cleansed you. But you still will need to avoid sin and wash by confessing it when you step in it. You understand? Well, Jesus moves from the spiritual lesson to a practical one. And we need, to, we, need to, uh, we need both of these to rightly understand what Jesus is teaching here. Uh, verse 12, So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothes back on, he took his place at the table again and said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? The answer to this is a solid no, right? No one at the table is understanding this. They are going to need some time and help from the Holy Spirit to put this all together, just like we do today. Jesus continued, verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and do so correctly, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. You should do just as I have done for you. I tell you the solemn truth. The slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent as a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So the disciples are appalled that that Jesus, their master, was washing their feet. And their error wasn't viewing him as their master or Lord. Their error was in understanding what kind of a master he was. You see, they're, they're still hoping for a Messiah who's, who's going to come in with his army and overthrow Rome. That's what they're looking for. And they had missed it when Jesus had said earlier that he had come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So then Jesus sort of reasons with them at, at, a, at a logical level. A slave is not greater than his master, right? And they all nod. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him, right? Uh-huh. No one would disagree with Jesus at this point. And so Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, if I, as your master, have done this for you, then you need to do it for one another. If I, your master, above you, the greater one, does this, who are you to think that you don't have to serve one another? That's what he's saying. Now, you've, you've probably all heard that uh, there are some church traditions that, that take these words of Jesus literally. They have foot washing ceremonies. It's really common on Monday, Thursday, uh, uh, Thursday just before uh, Easter, Good Friday and then Easter. Um, I don't think they're necessarily wrong uh, to have services like this. I've been a part of services like this, and they've been incredibly moving uh, for me. I'll, I'll never forget one of those in particular that uh, happened in Kazakhstan. Um, ben probably remembers this. He was there with me. 
uh, we had there were there were two an inner circle and an outer circle, and uh, the outer circle sat in chairs. The inner circle were on their knees with a basin in front of them, uh, washing the feet of the person in the chair. And I was washing the feet of a young man who had sores all over his feet. And this was just tap water. I mean, there were, you know, there's no bleach or anything in it. Some of you nurses are going. I remember I just kept thinking, Jesus, what would you do? What would you do? What would you do? Wash his feet. And then we traded places. And he washed my feet. And he was weeping. My feet actually never got dried. I mean, you dry them with a towel and then more tears. Um, Having my feet washed by him was probably one of the most humbling experiences of my life. So those can be valuable, uh, but there is a danger of taking this command too literally and missing the bigger lesson that Jesus is teaching. Because Jesus is using this example of foot washing to tell his disciples that they have to have an attitude of serving, not of one who is entitled to be served. That's why Paul said just before the passage that we read in Philippians, your attitude should be the same as Christ, who humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Friends, I don't have to tell you this is, this is hard. This, this goes against everything in our sinful nature. We think the way up is up. Jesus says that the way up is down. If you want to be great, learn to be a servant. And it seems upside down, certainly to our world's way of thinking. And and it can be really hard to turn that right side up. In fact, I think it's impossible without the, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we must do it. Here's the good news. There's a promise attached to this. Verse 17, Jesus says, if you understand these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says we will be blessed if we do these things. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word under our English word blessed is makarios. Strong's defines it this way. It describes a person in the enviable or fortunate position of receiving God's provision or favor, which then extends, literally makes large or long His grace. Jesus is saying that when we receive uh, God's provision and, and ex, uh, excuse me, not when we, He's saying that we receive God's provision and uh, extend His grace when we understand and do these things. What things? What are the these things that he's talking about? Well, again, John helps us by framing this conversation in the context of Passover, the cross, and Jesus' incredible love for us. And so within that context, the first of these things, I think, that we need to understand 
is the washing or cleansing that comes from Jesus' work on the cross. And Jesus knew that the the disciples didn't understand that in this moment, but promised that they would afterwards when the Holy Spirit taught them. For us, I, I think we can better understand this now because we're on this side of the cross and we have the Holy Spirit to teach us. So understanding and acting on that truth, that that we are cleansed by receiving the forgiveness accomplished for us on the cross. Understanding that truth will lead you into a blessed life, meaning you'll experience God's favor and, and an abundance, I think, of his grace. That's the first of these things that Jesus is talking about. The second of these things that Jesus is talking about is following his example of serving one another. When we take on the mindset of Jesus and humble ourselves as servants of one another, we will be blessed. We will experience God's favor and an abundance of his grace. Jesus promised it. These two things that Jesus tells us to understand and do, I believe, are dependent on one another. If we grab onto the first and ignore the second, we miss the work that Jesus intends for us to do. But if we grab onto the second and ignore the first, we'll be powerless to do the work that he intends for us to do. What do I mean? Well, if we, on one hand, welcome the teaching about the cleansing power of Jesus' death on the cross, but refuse to serve one another, well, we're not truly following Jesus, are we? And if we aren't truly following Jesus, then he's not our Lord, our master. And if he's not our Lord and master, well, are we truly clean? Apparently, Jesus was not Judas's master. And Jesus says he's not clean. On the other hand, though, if if we take from this conversation that we just have to be humble, which is sometimes taught as the message of this, if if we take that but refuse uh, the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross, turns out we're actually powerless to do this work of serving one another as Jesus calls us to. See, the only way to have the mindset of Jesus, the same mindset of Jesus on this issue of humility is to have his indwelling spirit at work in us. And the only way for that to happen is to receive from him the cleansing and forgiveness that he accomplished for us on the cross. These two things are not really separate. They are intertwined, maybe even tangled up together in a way that you cannot separate them and still maintain the teaching of Jesus. So as I close this morning, I have two questions for us all. And I want to suggest to you that the answer to both of them has to be yes or the answer to both of them will be no. You, you can't say yes to only one of them. If you answer no to either of them, you've, you've said no to both of them. So first question. 
Have you experienced the love of God in Christ by receiving his cleansing and forgiveness? Have you? I, I just, I want to plead with you. Don't leave this morning if you haven't. Come and talk to me. Talk to somebody that you came with. Talk to someone that doesn't even go here that you know is a Christian and find out how you can have that. Really important question. But the second question is important too. Are you following the example of the master by serving others? And I'll add this just from Jesus' example. Not just the people you like. This is hard. We've got to be willing to serve those who have or will betray us even. Here's the good news. If you've said yes to both of those, you're so blessed. But of course, you probably already know that. You're experiencing that blessing. You're experiencing God's favor in the expansion of his grace in your life. And if you're not, I just want to invite you into that, to experience his favor and more and more of his grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your incredible love that compelled you to become human and go to the cross for us, for me. May we all receive that cleansing that comes from the cross. May we follow your example of humble service and by the power of your Spirit serve one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.